Welcome to our Daily Inspiration Podcast. As Inspire Church is walking through a 30-day rule of life, whether you are participating fully or just listening, we hope you are blessed. Well, hello, Inspire Church. Pastor Bart Garrett here. I am delighted and honored to have an opportunity to be with you on your podcast regarding the rule of life. Let me just say before introducing myself a little further, I love your pastor, Pastor Philip Muela. Uh, we've been in a coaching cohort together, and I am truly inspired. I use the word intentionally uh, by his leadership, by his humility, his teachability. Uh, I know he's leading your church well. And again, I just feel honored to talk for a few minutes on this podcast about uh, rest and Sabbath. Um, what it means to lead a life of rest in the midst of, of having a restless life. But before I do, just a quick word on introductions. Uh, as I said, my name is Bart Garrett. I've been in the Bay Area for almost 17 years. I moved here in 2005, and uh, I planted a church called Christ Church uh, in Berkeley, about a quarter mile from the campus. We grew to a, a second location in Oakland and then a third location in Lafayette. And uh, just as COVID hit us, I took a new role and became the senior pastor of Walnut Creek Presbyterian Church, a church that's 142 years old, uh, trying to do some revitalization and renovation of that church. So what we did is we took our third location from Christ Church and merged it into this larger, more established church. Uh, so we've got a lot of young families and 20-somethings meeting some of our uh, older generations there at WCPC. It's been hard in the midst of a pandemic. I know all of our churches and church plants have, have struggled for many reasons during this pandemic, but uh, it's also been an opportunity to really uh, clarify our purpose and get aligned on the few things we want to be passionate about. Uh, so yeah, I'm just up the road from you guys. I am married to my college sweetheart, Katie. We've got uh, three teenage daughters. So uh, if anyone needs rest, it's uh, a man in a house outnumbered by four women. Um, but in all sincerity, I think when you are parenting teenagers, you shift from the, the physical exhaustion of the early years to some emotional and spiritual exhaustion. But uh, I love my family. I'm a family man and I love pastoring and uh, I have a chance again to just spend a few minutes with you on what it means to experience Sabbath rest. And I had several working titles for uh, this podcast. Uh, I thought about calling it the restless life or Sabbath resting or maybe what you don't know about Sundays just might be killing you. Uh, so we'll see. Maybe you can title it later. Uh, but I, I told you a little bit about what I do. I, I want to say a little bit more about who I am before we get into this topic. Uh, you could say that I'm still in recovery from my first gig being in middle management uh, in my 20s with about 10 people in my downline and five people in my upline. I felt like uh, life was rarely my own and it was exhausting and I was quite restless. And I think I also, if I'm honest, deal with uh, very unrealistic expectations that I either put on myself internally or experience from others externally. And some of that is uh, I probably am 
addicted to affirmation and I can be an approval junkie. And uh, I'm sure there are daddy issues there that we, uh, many of us experience just wanting to know that there is someone in my life that is proud of me. And I share that because I'd love to just get us uh, deeper than our epidermis to explore that reality. Because if I were to get to know you and I were to ask you the question, how are you doing? Um, I would imagine you might say, well, I'm fine. Or you may give me a little bit more and you might say, well, I'm so busy. Or you may give me a little bit more and you may actually say, I'm exhausted. If I only had eight days in a week or an extra two hours in a day, uh, I feel like I have so much to do, but I have such little time. But if I were to change that question and not ask you, how are you doing, but instead ask you, why are you doing? Uh, we might explore a, a lot of interesting topics. Uh, we would recognize that we live in the throes of a global economy. Uh, so that means if you live in a place like the Bay Area, um, you probably have a college degree, you may have a master's degree, you may have a doctorate, uh, you may be competing against three billion other people that do what you do. And if we're honest, that global economy produces uh, job insecurity. And we are in a, a finicky job market, and it makes specialized training seem imperative. So maybe you're restless insofar as wanting to go back to school or wanting to, to change jobs or find a better job. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, that means you're also probably spending between 60 and 70% of your paycheck on housing. Modern technology exists, so it allows us to work anywhere at any time, so we work everywhere all of the time. So you take that concoction and you throw in some FOMO, uh, fear of missing out, and lo and behold, uh, why are you doing? Uh, you're exhausted. You're busy. Uh, but that is actually what a therapist might not call uh, the presenting problem, because I don't think we're merely busy. Uh, I think we are truly restless, and restless people often are not free from who they were or satisfied with who they are. Let me say that again. I, I fear that restless people are often not free from who they were or satisfied with who they are. Restless people are not free from who they were. Uh, I remember a few years ago um, sitting with a very well-credentialed, accomplished professor, uh, professor at Cal, a good friend of mine, and he confessed to me on my couch over a drink one night uh, that he lives with this nagging fear that people will discover that he's a fraud, that he's a poser, that he's an imposter. And he said, I have so much scattered back there in my past that I just have to keep running in order to get away from it. It's a comment that stems from uh, not feeling free from who you were, but also said that restless people are not satisfied with who they are. Um, a quote that really nails this is the original Material Girl Madonna's quote from an interview in the Vanity Fair magazine of uh, 2004, so 17 years ago, 
18 years ago. And uh, some of you may not even know who Madonna is, but uh, she, uh, of course, was highly successful as a performer and musician in that day. And in this quote, in this interview, she said this, she said, all my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. And I find a way to get myself out of that again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that is always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. So if restless people are not free from who they were, nor satisfied with who they are, what if there is a God who could give us a gift that could heal us from our restlessness? And what if that gift, if we're honest, uh, we either don't receive it or we receive it, but we rarely use it or we use it inappropriately? And what is more, what if not using this gift that God would give us is actually slowly killing us? It makes me think of an old Dateline exclusive, that show that used to come on NBC and is now a, an award-winning podcast. It was a chilling tale of antifreeze and murder. It was this crazy show of, uh, about this woman who kept putting a little bit of antifreeze over time in her husband's soup, and lo and behold, it killed him. Well, what if that's what's going on here? What if our not using the gift of Sabbath rest appropriately is slowly killing us? You know, Jesus tells us in, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 27, that the Sabbath was made for people, that people were not made for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is not confining us or restraining us. The Sabbath is actually a gift that was created for you to alleviate, or better, to mitigate your restlessness. Not just being exhausted, but getting to the depth of that exhaustion, to your restless reality that you may be experiencing. Our response might be, well, well, this is a silly discussion. How is this relevant to my restlessness? But remember, Sabbath keeping is on the same list as worshiping an idol, committing murder, and engaging in adultery. It's on the list of our Ten Commandments, so it must be pretty important. St. Augustine said in his confessions in the 4th century that God has made us for himself, yet our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. Well, I think Sabbath rest is God's gift to give us that deep rest in him. So I want to just spend our last 10 minutes uh, looking at Sabbath through seven lenses, and we'll go fast, so hang in there. But I want to look through the lenses of scripture, theology, history, culture, family, vocation, and psychology. Don't turn this off yet. Four through seven, culture, family, vocation, psychology are super practical, so we're going to get there. 
but I want to look at these these seven lenses very quickly. Firstly, what is Sabbath when it comes to Scripture? You know, that word Sabbath shows up in the Bible 154 times. Here are three of them. Genesis chapter 2, we learn that God blesses the seventh day and makes it holy. It becomes a Sabbath day because God rested from all the work of creating that he had done. We see Sabbath show up in Exodus 20. I mentioned the Ten Commandments where, well, here is the fourth commandment and we are called to rest. Why? In Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11. Because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And then in the New Testament, the Greek scriptures in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 through 11, really the whole passage is about Sabbath, but these three verses here, 9 through 11, read, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also rest from their own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So that is an attempt to look at Sabbath through scripture, at least three of the 154 times it shows up there. What about the second lens, theology? What is Sabbath with respect to theology? Well, to do a little theology and don't be intimidated by that word, that just simply means how we apply scripture to our life. Um, We would say that the people of God, the Israelites, were given all sorts of symbols, weren't they? Uh, Torah, land, temple, nation, and Sabbath. That was a symbol. And what do symbols do? Well, they demarcate who people are. They become badges of distinction. They become boundary lines and identity markers. They establish what people believe, don't they? Symbols convey this deep subterranean reality. They, They bring the affections of the heart into visibility. You could say that if a picture says a thousand words, then a symbol might say 10,000. And symbols call people to action, don't they? They inflame passion. They become rallying cries. Think about the American flag, for instance. So what did Jewish symbols do for the Israelites during the Roman occupation? What they did is they allowed Jews to stay Jews. They staved off Hellenization, that the Jews might become Greeks or Romans. So these symbols ordered their life and protected the people of God from this onslaught of of cultural co-opting. So then, that is the theological backdrop for this question. What did the Jews make of Jesus' defamation of Jewish symbols? Remember, he kept um, trying to heal people on the Sabbath. He did it very intentionally. And they were saying only a revolutionary, only an insurrectionist would do something like this. So what was Jesus doing then as a revolutionary? Well, he was actually retraining the people of God to better understand what these Jewish symbols were all about. He was saying, that which was given to you as a blessing for the world, you turned into a barrier. You made it a barricade. You made it an identity marker, and it was meant uh, to be shared with all. That which was given as a means of, of engaging me, you have used as a means to eliminate me. That's Isaiah chapter one, right? Jesus is in effect saying, 
I gave you the Sabbath so that you would engage with God. And what did you do? You find your holiness by trying to keep it. You're eliminating me in the process. And this provocation, because it was both political and religious, offended both the Romans, the people who were in power, and the Jews, the people who were under their power. So this is Jesus taking this symbol of Sabbath and and turning it upside down as he does so well. So then lastly, uh, third lens before we get really practical, what is Sabbath with respect to church history? So we've looked at the Bible, we've looked at theology. Um, You know, there were actually three big debates on Sabbath throughout church history. There was the if debate, the when debate, and the how debate. If debate was simply saying, uh, do we even keep Sabbath? If we keep it, was the question. Because some people say that it's an Old Testament ordinance. It, it emphasized the Mosaic Covenant. And, and the Mosaic Covenant recognized three aspects of the law. And we're getting deep here, but there was the civil law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law. And some people say, well, Sabbath was, was a part of the civil law because it was a theocracy or it was a part of the ceremonial law around the temple. It's really not a part of the moral law, so we don't need to keep it anymore. So people got in a big debate over that. Uh, is the moral law still intact, and if so, how, and, and all of those questions. The, the second great debate, historically speaking, on Sabbath was the when debate. When do we keep Sabbath? Because remember, there was seventh-day rest at creation. So, so Christians, for, for some years in the early days, kept the seventh day, like the Jews did, as the Sabbath day. But then there was this turn when Jesus was resurrected the, the seventh day actually became, became the first day. So remember in those resurrection accounts, there's the first day of the week when they discover, uh, even John refers to it, this is cool, as the eighth day, which is suggesting Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of a, of a brand new calendar. It's, it's a brand new creation. So we would say today, um, at the edge of this second great debate on when to keep Sabbath, that we keep it on the first day of the week. I love that Google Calendar starts with Sunday. See, they're Christian and didn't even realize it, but we keep it as a resurrection Sunday, the Lord's Day. And then the third great debate on, on Sabbath was how. How do we keep it? And we could get super heady here, but I want to get to application. But let me just say, within my tradition, which is a Presbyterian Reformed tradition, and uh, I love that your tradition cares more about the Holy Spirit than ours does, and and we're trying to learn and grow from people like Philip and Inspired Church. But let me just say, within our own tradition, there there were two major debates on how to keep Sabbath. And one was, uh, can you exercise? Can you enjoy everyday recreations on Sabbath? Uh, And the second one was, should you do works of piety and mercy on Sabbath? Like, are you basically obligated by Jesus' healings on the Sabbath to to be a healer and to make mercy and to do justice for others? Or are you simply doing the work of piety, of worship? And there's been tons of debates on on how to keep Sabbath, but suffice it to say, um, my suggestions will show up in the applications that we're about to make. So I want to turn our attention to, to these last four lenses. We've looked at Bible, we looked at theology, we've looked at history probably said too much there for the sake of a podcast. If you're listening to this on the way to work, maybe you're bored to tears. But now we're going to get practical because uh, I think we have to think about our culture, our family, our own vocation, and our own psychology uh, when we figure out how to keep this rule of life and what Sabbath rest might look like. So let me just say a quick word about each. Firstly, culture. As I mentioned, uh, we live in an age where modern technology has proliferated. 
We have weapons of mass distraction at our disposal. I'm talking about our phones and our screens. And they produce uh, rampant workaholism. So one of the uh, newspaper articles that I have given out for years, and I think it is still as good today as it was when it was written in 2003, was written by a woman named Judith Shulevitz. Um, at the time, she was kind of a non-practicing Jew living in Brooklyn, and she wrote an article entitled Bring Back the Sabbath. And this is what she says. She says, in the Darwinian world of the New York 20-something, everything, even socializing, reading, or exercising, felt like work or the pursuit of work by other means. Ours is a society that pegs status to overachievement. We cannot help but admire workaholics. Let me argue instead on behalf of an institution that has kept workaholism in reasonable check for thousands of years. So you who are skeptical of religion, at least respect that in this sense, maybe it is fighting against an addiction that is killing each and every one of us. I, I've given that, this article to many of my secular friends and, and Bay Area colleagues and coworkers, and, um, and let me tell you, they recognize that our culture is a death-dealing culture that works us into the ground, and there is something very beautiful about a Sabbath rest, even for your secular friends, neighbors, and coworkers. So our culture, I think, demands that we practice Sabbath. Um, otherwise, I think it will just slowly kill us. Secondly, uh, our family. Um, I think as you think about how to practice Sabbath rest with this rule of life, uh, I think you need to pay attention to your age and stage. Um, there are some family stage realities. Uh, Sabbath keeping is going to look different if you're single or if you're married or if you're married without kids or with kids or if you have an empty nest. Um, sometimes, for instance, if you have kids in diapers, the valley of the diapers, I like to say, uh, you are on that treadmill of life. And you could imagine running on that treadmill of life and maybe there's this, this big bay window in front of you with these large curtains. And you may be able to get off of that treadmill and, and put down the, the crawling and crying baby for a second and go over to that massive window and pull the curtain back just for a second and catch a glimpse of the glory of God. That might be your Sabbath. This too shall pass, but it may just be a glimpse on a Sunday. But let me tell you, when your kids get older, family life will get busier. I mentioned shifting from, from physical to emotional exhaustion. And so you have to be vigilant in building some rhythms and some contours to practical Sabbath keeping. It may be a simple prayer you offer with your family on the way to church. It, it may be lighting a candle on Saturday night at dinner and just signifying something is about to change. We're entering into a new reality on Sunday. It, it may be at the end of the day, a little high, low, and buffalo is what we call it. What was the high of the day? What was the low of the day? What was the buffalo? What happened that was weird or particular that you just wanted to share? Or maybe that's sort of setting out the week and asking God to bless the week together as a family. Uh, and then I want to look at, at vocations. So remember, there are seven lenses here, and don't worry, we're already to the sixth one, and my time is almost up anyway. But you're going to have to recognize not just your family age and stage realities, but your vocational career age and stage realities. You know, if you're a, a resident after med school or you're 
a junior executive or you're in the on the first rung of your ladder in your field or you're a programmer at a tech startup there's a sense in which you're going to have to earn your spurs and pay your dues and, and your time is not your own and you're answering to your boss and you don't always really have uh, value yet to be able to stand up for what it is you believe and and this is going to be a balancing act of wisdom but let me just say down the road, once you establish some credibility uh, and gain some more traction, bring back the Sabbath. Find places to infuse Sabbath rest into your day, into your week. Um, because again, if you're not doing this spiritual breathing, I think you're, you're dying a slow death. And, and let me say, let's hold this intention because um, you might be able to be courageous and countercultural right now in your vocation, in your career, even if you haven't fully earned your spurs. Um, I think of a woman at Christ Church who um, asked me to write her a letter that she could give to her boss. She was in retail uh, that would ask special permission from her pastor to not have to work on Sundays. And that was weird. Yes, it was. But I did it and she did it. And you know what her boss said? Great. You can have Sundays off. I know how much church means to you. Uh, and then another thing I would say here is don't be afraid to take some rungs off of the ladder. Uh, if you're getting ahead in your career, if you're making more money, uh, demands that you put yourself in an inhumane work week where Sabbath rest is not possible then you may need to take some of the rungs off of that ladder and do it now before the money becomes too tempting 10 years down the road. Uh, and then lastly, psychology. Um, you need to tailor your Sabbath rest around your own psychology. Uh, that's a rule of life is important, collectively speaking, because there's things you're doing together as a church, and that's wonderful. But But bear in mind, it's also important to to build it to your temperament. Are you a book person? Are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Are you a people person? When is your battery on drain? When you're with people? When you're reading a book? Is your spouse, if you're married, an extrovert or an introvert? That's going to shape the way that you keep Sabbath. Are you a to-do person or a let-it-be person? Are you a prayer person? Are you a little more monkish? Are you a mercy person? Are you a little, a little more of an activist? See, knowing your temperament might suggest that some of your Sabbath rest and Sabbath keeping might actually cause you to run across the grain of your normal life or to run with the grain of your normal life. If you're introverted, maybe you don't need to see people on Sunday afternoons. Maybe you need to find a little space, a little Sabbath rest at the end of every workday where you just sort of turn off from 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. I hope this has been helpful. Um, I feel like my time is up, but I, I just want to point out two more things that I really think can give you um, great frameworks for whatever your Sabbath keeping looks like. And here they are. Um, consider Sabbath rest as a movement from discontentedness to satisfaction and a movement from bondage to freedom. What would it look like to consider your Sabbath resting as a movement from discontentedness, remember where we started, to satisfaction, and as a movement from bondage to freedom, remember where we started? And this is what I mean. 
We have the Ten Commandments show up twice in Scripture, in Exodus 20, most familiar, and then again in Deuteronomy 5. What you may have missed is that when the, the, the fourth commandment, keeping the Sabbath day, is mentioned, it's the reason given is different in each of those commandments. In Exodus, the reason given is because God rested on the seventh day. The reason given for keeping the Sabbath uh, in Deuteronomy is because God delivered his people from the bondage of Egypt. So you see the implications there? The first one in Exodus is, is God's uh, invitation for us to journey from discontentedness to satisfaction. Did God rest because he was tired? Did he Was his wrist hurting because he threw rings around Saturn and he just needed to rest his wrist? No. God's satisfied with his work. And that's a model for us to rest from our work. We have to, to stop and consider and reflect on the work that we've done and recognize in so doing that we need to stop doing that work. That work doesn't define us. We're going to keep being discontented if what we do defines who we are. We need to be satisfied in that work, just as God was in his. And then secondly and finally, Sabbath keeping is a journey from bondage to freedom. That means, like the Deuteronomy 5 passage, like God um, delivered his people from bondage in Egypt, that we are no longer slaves to a 24-7, 365 work life. That we are brought out from under an, an unrelenting boss with a heavy hand. That anyone who cannot rest from work is a slave. Anyone who can't get away from their work is a slave. And you cannot be a slave to your need for success or to our materialistic culture or to your exploitative employer or to your parents' sense of acceptance or approval. You are invited into a revolt, a revolution of Sabbath rest. I pray that this would be helpful to you. Thank you again for the opportunity to talk about Sabbath rest in the context of a rule of life. Thank you, Inspire Church. You're inspiring many other pastors and churches in the area. And thank you, Philip Muela, for opportunity to be on your podcast. Hope you guys have a great week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you are inspired as we journey together to reorient our lives in life-giving practices as demonstrated in God's Word.